Amen. Thank you, worship team. Our passage this morning is 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll look at the first four verses, excuse me, seven verses. We are going now through the life of Elisha. This, um, we looked at Elijah and Elisha together. Last week, we looked at some of those interesting first miracles. Um, this week, uh, we're going to see at the beginning of sort of a succession of miracles that Elisha performs. And remember, the name Elisha means the God who saves. Jesus' name is the Lord who saves. And so many rightly see these miracles as being a symbol of the future miracles Jesus would perform. Uh, the miracles we're about to run into in these next few sermons, uh, we see Jesus or the gospel overcoming debt and death and drought, disease uh, and difficulty, kind of all quick, quickly relayed. And it reminded one commentary, he said it reminded him of, of some miracles in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to chapter 5, verse 40, 43, where Jesus just in quick succession performs quite a few miracles. We'll see some of those this week. But what I want to draw our attention to in this morning's miracle, it's been, it's been very beautiful to just be processing this passage this week, how God delights to take a widow who is a nothing in her culture and make her into something. And that's really a picture of what the gospel does. Jesus delights to take people that are seemingly nothings and make them into something. And so we're going to see that this morning in our passage. Join with me as I read our, our verses from 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when the one is full, set it aside. So she went from him, shut the door and behind herself and her sons. And as she poured... They brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Father, we praise you for this timely story at a time in our history where Though none of us that I'm aware of are in the exact situation this widow is in, many, if not all of us, feel the weight of health, of lost jobs, of, of the economy, of so many pressures. Teach us to cry out to you. Teach us to rest and trust in you, Lord. Amen. We, uh, we all love rags to riches stories. Uh, one that comes to mind, you know, the pursuit of happiness with Will Smith. There are many others where the, the hero is destitute uh, and, and they're a nothing. And then something transpires and they, 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 
create this winning you know, formula, and for Will Smith, he becomes very successful, but he, you know, he has to do a great difficulty and great harm. And so we love these kind of movies, and we come to this passage, and it has that feel, but not exactly. Um, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a secret on preaching. When you, when you prepare a sermon, a goal is to find like what's called the fallen condition. I think I've shared this before. You know, what is the problem in the passage that we relate with in our current setting? And when you come to a passage like this, it can feel like a softball. Like, duh, she's destitute and they, she needs money and we're kind of in a pandemic. We're in a pandemic right now. Does everyone remember that? Like, there's nobody here because we're in a pandemic. Okay, there's like a few people, just three or four. Um, and so when I'm thinking about this sermon, that's the fallen condition, but... I think, as I begin to process it and read it, I want to I sort of ratchet that up a little bit. Here's what I mean. Going from pursuit of happiness, a better rags-to-riches story, in my view, is the story we've all seen that's a true story of the dad who ran the marathon with the son. You all know the story? Um, actually, their names are the Hoyts. Uh, and in 1977, the son, Rick Hoyt, asked his father by the same name, Dad, I want to, to run in a marathon. Now, the problem is the son is paralyzed. So this would mean the father would have to put him in a contraption and run the 26.2 miles to do the marathon. And the reason the son wanted to do it was to give hope to another paralyzed person in his life. He wanted to say, look, there's life beyond this issue, this situation. You'll have life. But in order for this to happen, he had to ask his father. And that's a really hard thing to do. And what I'm drawn to in our passage is that she asks Elisha. I want to really spend our time there. So here's our proposition. God delights to take nothings and turn them into somethings. That's a true statement. But because of that, here's the application. We ask. We request it. We say, God, will you make this happen? We are participants in that process. So three things, her faith, her debt, and her receiving. All of these three things are parts of the secret to her asking. So let's look at her faith first. Um, as you see, she has a problem, and immediately, like verse one, voices her concern, her problem to Elisha. Uh, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take away my two children to be his slaves. Uh, she, she tells of her situation. And that seems basic enough. And I think I would like point number one to be simply this. Are we asking enough? Are we putting our desires, our needs out there before the Lord? And you would read this and you would think, well, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't do this? I kind of think most of us wouldn't do this. Like most of us in our nature don't ask of anything that we don't think realistically can be answered. And it's really telling that Isaiah's or Elisha's first words are, what shall I do for you? Now he doesn't answer that. He doesn't wait for her to answer that. But it's interesting how her, her request is so bold. There's no logical solution. And I, I just, I'm wondering, are we, uh, are we asking those kind of questions? to the Lord. 
her situation, as you know, uh, there, if you know, the, like, there's Old Testament laws about Leverite law, and when you have a loss of a husband, you know, remember Ruth and Boaz, there's things called the kinsman redeemer. So her situation is so destitute that there's no seemingly normal legal solution to the problem. Unless, and I don't know this to be true, because of who her husband was, was Elisha sort of filling in there? Because it is interesting how she bases her request on the righteousness and the position of her husband. She says, as you know, your servant who's my husband is dead, and you know he feared the Lord. So there's this sense in which she's claiming a promise. She seems to be going to Elisha, and she's saying, he who is a prophet, maybe one of the 7,000 that Elijah had been told about, we don't know. Uh, they're called sons of prophets. They're, it's hard to know exactly who these men were, but they're prophets. They fear the Lord. They haven't bowed to, to Baal. They've given their life up, and possibly a lot of harm has come because of that. And she's, uh, she's going to Elisha and saying, look, you know who my husband is and was. Will you help? So she's asking on the basis of that, um, and she's asking boldly. I was thinking about New Testament examples. We all know the story of the woman. It's in Mark 5, where you know, there's a crowd around Jesus, and we sing it in the song, Heal Us, Emmanuel. But she makes her way to Jesus. She has a wound that's never been healed, and she touches Jesus' his, his garment, and she's healed. And what's amazing about that story is uh, Jesus, who's surrounded by people, kind of stops and asks the disciples, who touched me, you know? And they're like, uh, everyone? Like, there's a lot of people. Um, but then he said, no, there's like a particular person. And he sees the woman, and they have this conversation. And he says, your faith made you well. Are we willing to go to Jesus with the faith of that woman in Mark 5? Or like this woman to Elisha, do we, do we move, do we ask? That's question number one. So point one, letter A, are you asking? Point one, letter B, if you want to outline this, uh, are you participating? Are you participating? It's interesting that she doesn't just ask the question and then go home, but Elisha's answer is such that she gets to participate in the process. Listen to what he tells her to do. Um, she says, after he finds out she has a little jar of oil, he says, go to your neighbors and ask them for empty vessels. When you read the Bible, pay attention, like pretend you're the person. Like what would that feel like? If you're a widow in that day and age, you're kind of pitied, right? In addition to the physical struggles she's ha having and financial, you know, the realities of her situation, just the emotional toll it would take to be that person in the culture. And yet Elisha's very answer is go knock on doors and, and ask for empty. Can I have an empty oil bottle? You know, what would that be like? And she does that. So her faith forces her to go ask people for vessels. And he says, not too few, like get a lot of these vessels. It's a beautiful picture of, of claiming and acting on the promises of the Lord. And that's what she's doing. Um, she's not doing, um, you know, she's not just waiting for this to happen, but she's willing to get involved. In Philippians 4, a very famous place uh, where, where Paul informs us that if you're anxious, you know, make your requests known to God. Like, present them, 
Let's be vigilant in that and claim the promises. Jack Miller, I talk about him a lot. It's a good guy. In his book that we're reading in the leadership training, he, he talks about um, how when his faith was strengthened, which one thing that changed for him was he began to claim the promises. And he would read the Bible and he would see these promises. This morning, we opened up with a promise, Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. What are the benefits? He forgives my sin. He heals my disease. He redeems my life from the pit. He crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires. That is a promise. There's, when you start reading the Bible for that, you'll start to notice how many places the Lord is saying, I promise to help you. And what she's doing is she's claiming it, and we, can we claim it? Are we able to claim it? Now, let me be clear. This is not a health and wealth point. This is not claim something now. It's claiming the promises that God himself has promised to give you and then acting by faith that you've received the spiritual realities. We know that some of those things in Psalm 103 will never take place until eternity, but there's still a promise. We're longing for the day where there are no more tears. But even now, heaven breaks in, and as Christians, we can begin to act right now, not on the basis of how I feel, or even my story, my upbringing, my situation. I can actually, this morning and every day, act freshly on the basis of who Christ is and what he's done, which leads us to our second point, which is her debt. The power for her faith comes from the reality of her debt, point number two. So how do we act like this woman? How do we not only make bold requests, but then participate in the request by doing hard things. And the answer is she understood her debt. Um, I think it's obvious. It's a very short story. Something bad has happened. Her husband has passed away. We don't know how. Um, And we don't know when the debt happened, but it would seem that possibly in the years from his death to the story, she's accrued debt And at some point, I don't know how this worked because it doesn't happen in America that I know of, her own children were kind of put up as as, um, for the credit for the um, debt she was taken. It's just crazy. I think of the the scene from Les Mis, you know, the the scene, it's the scene where Anne Hathaway wins her, her, her award because she's singing I Dreamed a Dream and she's the mom of Cassette and, and to, to take care of her daughter, she's even been willing to sell her own body and teeth and hair and other things. And then she gets an illness and she sings this song and it's beautiful. Uh, listen to it after the sermon. But it just shows you that as a parent, the, the links you're willing to go to and for, for a person in that condition, I can see having that kind of faith. Another place it reminds me of is Matthew 18. Remember this, the parable of the unmerciful servant where there, here's a story, it's not true, but Jesus is telling a parable and there's a man who has, and the king has called his accounts and he's demanding his like children and his wife, like his whole world, like this woman's, is about to be uphe- turned into upheaval. And you know the story, uh, he begs. But do you know what he says when he begs? He says this, um, if you're patient, king, I will repay everything. Now, the king didn't believe that. 
The king just thought, I'm going to have mercy. And that man, as you know, goes out once he's released because the king showed him mercy and he begins to demand the other creditors that owe him a little bit of money to pay up or they're going to jail, you know, and that's what gets him in trouble. And when you go back and you see his heart, he did not know his debt. He thought he could pay it off. But this woman knows there's no chance I can do this. There's no chance I could pay this off. Yesterday, uh, Another sermon secret, never talk about yourself in a positive way. So this is neutral. It's just a fact. Yesterday was my birthday. And I'm only saying that because I don't, it, it leads to the story I'm about to tell, but I don't want anyone to text me, oh, I'm sorry, because I miss your birthdays all the time. It's fine. But yesterday was my birthday, and my phone rang, and it was a Scott Lowe. And Scott Lowe is the pastor, or was the pastor in Fort Collins where we did RUF. And I'm thinking, oh, how nice. He's calling me on my birthday. Hey, Scott. And he didn't sound so good. I'm like, what's going on? And he's kind of breaking up. And the story is he's driving from Memphis where he's been visiting his dad in the hospital, trying to get back to Colorado last night, which I'm thinking it's a little late. And he has no money to pay the tolls. If you live in Colorado, you just drive through the tolls. And then if you have an account, they charge you. And if you don't, they send it because they take the photo and they don't. They just cut to the chase. Well, in Oklahoma, he drives up and the lady's like, you have to have cash. And he's like, I don't have any cash. And his credit card pin number was off because of different things. The the point is this. He had no option. In his mind, because she told him, if you drive through another one of these, the state trooper's coming after you. That's what he believed. So he's like, what do I do? And he doesn't have a debit card because he doesn't have a pin number. Uh, So he calls me. He says, hey, you live in Stillwater, right? That's how well we're kept in touch. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm in Stillwater. Um, it's like I knew it was somewhere in Oklahoma. So he came to our house last night to get cash because he was in such need. And he ended up spending the night. And we had a great time. Like Shane, because Shane knows him, came up. And we just sat there and visited and told stories. And uh, this morning, I, I said goodbye to him. And it was this awesome time, this awesome moment, all because he needed something. And he had to call us. Like, had he had any other option, he would have taken it. Wouldn't you? Like, who's, the last thing I'm going to do is call someone and go, here's the deal. But he did. And it's because he really did need it. So that's illustrating to say, do you know the debt? Um, Jesus famously in Matthew, uh, we, we just use it for our assurance of pardon, Matthew 9 says, I have not come to the healthy. I've come for the sick. Have you ever heard that before? Few people that are in this place and at home, please listen to me. Every time we hear those words, we have to do a heart check. Because I feel healthy. I feel good spiritually. And if Jesus looks at me and says, I came for the sick, whoa. Either he didn't come from me, or more likely, I'm feeling too healthy. And I need to be aware of my debt. I'm not trying to beat myself up. I'm not trying to make myself into something I'm not. Like, I'm so, I need to understand my need for the blood of Christ, and so do you. And we need it daily. We need it at all times. Jesus came not for the healthy, for the sick. And this woman was fully aware that she was sick. And when we don't have faith like this woman's, the answer is not do more, start writing down who to ask, how to pray better, The issue is in our heart of hearts, 
we don't really see our need at that moment for the fresh application of the blood of Christ. He came for the sick, meaning we need a Savior. And that wasn't just true the day we became a Christian. And that wasn't just true the last time you did that one sin you're really feeling guilty about. That's true at this very, very moment. All of us are people who are designed to be in union with Christ. That'll never go away. But this side of heaven, we also have flesh and we need the blood of Christ to be freshly applied. Listen to me. That doesn't mean you have to do anything new today. It's already done if you're a Christian. But you need to, rep- you need to understand it today. Not so that you stay a Christian. You're going to stay a Christian if you have Christ, but that we live as a Christian. If we believe that we have debt, we will run to the Lord and we will become beggars in a way for mercy and he will fill us with, his long, you know, with this longing to ask. And that's what we're talking about. So we've looked at faith. We've looked at our debt. We're going to close the third point with the blessings, the uh, blessings that were poured out because that's the best part of the story. I don't want to, I mean, this is a great story, okay? I want you to just imagine it. The children and she have gathered these vessels and I think it was a lot of vessels, okay? They're probably like, what's going to happen here? And they shut the door, which is really cool. Like, this is just for us. Elisha is not in the room. He's, he, went, he went out to lunch. So, she and these two children in these vessels, and she gets her little flask. I don't know how small it is. She takes that little cork off, and that was probably a big deal. And by the way, I'm not an oil expert, so I don't think this is cooking oil like with Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. I think this is probably more like the New Testament types. Of, I don't know. This is, whatever it is, it's, it's valuable. She has a little flask. She's saving. It's probably like her last meal. You know, I can turn this in and eat a final meal. I don't know. But she takes the cork off and she starts to pour. And there's going to be that moment where what's in the flask should be done, right? It's like, it's done. And maybe even, you know, when when a pour turns into a drip for just a second, maybe that happened and she panicked. But then she notices like the thing is just, it's continuing. It's just coming out. And this, how long does that take? I don't know. It's this vessel is filling up. And she's like telling the children like, okay, move that over there, grab that one. And she's just filling vessel after vessel. This took time. And, and the joy and the just, the, I can't believe this blessing that's just coming over her. And there comes this moment where they're like, get the next vessel. And the son says, uh, that was it. Thankfully, they asked for a lot of them, but they could have asked for more, but they did that. And then the thing quits pouring and she goes to Elisha and says, hey, like, I have a lot of oil. And he says, yes, sell that oil. Sell that oil and you'll pay off your debt and you'll have enough to live on. Wow. And so she does that. That's the blessing that she receives. And what I want to do with that is I don't want to overlook the physical because we long for physical blessings. But I'm, I was thinking about this passage and I'm thinking about our true debt, which is spiritual as well. And I was thinking about what Shane shared last week. That, remember the story of the paralytic that was lowered? I just wanted to kind of rift on that again with you guys. Like, here come, you all know the story. They can't get to Jesus, so they come through the roof. He's paralyzed. Uh, and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
And when you read that story, you're just a little irritated with that. You're like, I mean, come on. That's not what he came for. So, but what we, if you read the story, it's the Pharisees who are kind of murmuring to themselves, like, who is this that forgives sins? And so he says, is it harder to forgive a sin or to heal someone? And the answer is to forgive sin, right? Can I hear an amen from the three of you at home? Like, that's Jesus's point. But the Pharisees who are mad that he healed are also believing in their heart of hearts that that's the easier thing to say anyway. Because I can say that to anybody, but you can't prove it. But to have a paralyzed person stand up and take their mat and walk away is amazing. That's the oil in the jar miracle. And yet he does that miracle and his last remark is basically, I've, you know, healing the sin is harder. Healing the sin is harder. Why? Because you and I have a debt that cannot be paid. There's nothing you can do. There's no amount of patience. There's no amount of effort that can do it. And so what we have in the blessing is we have a Jesus who's canceled our debts completely. So when we have a confession of sin, that's not to hope that Jesus might yet again forgive us of our sin. We're standing up here reading together and we're all praying together our confessions of sin and we're doing it privately at home to remind ourselves of what's already been done by the blood of Christ. We're being made participants in this process of healing because we're getting to name these places. Canceled sin. It's not just, his blood does not just cancel your sin and your debt, but it leads you to life. And that's what I love about this passage that Elisha didn't say there, your debts are canceled, now go get a job. He says, your debts are canceled and there's enough money to live. The same mercy, the same blood that covers our debt gives us life and moves us into this new relationship where as adopted sons and daughters of God, we can participate in a life knowing that we are free, even if we don't feel like it, which is why we act on the basis of the promises, right? You see this in just places I'm gonna name. You see this with Romans 12, one and two, that we're being transformed, right? By the renewing of our mind. What are we doing? We're remembering the gospel We're being thankful that it cancels our debt, but now it's gonna renew the way we think about daily life. The reality of the mercies of heaven, the reality of the future home we have, and it's it's both physical and it's spiritual. We're gonna think about sin patterns. See, right now, when you think about the physical problems you have, a lot of times it's our sin that's creating the havoc in our lives. Do you have a sin pattern that you just can't shake Well, I have good news. You can't shake it. That's the cheer up, you're worse than you think moment. But Jesus can. And based on his promises, we can pray to him and ask, Lord Jesus, will you take this sin? Even if we pray that every day for the last 30 years, pray it by faith. And then begin to act on the basis of the promises that he can and go forth and and try to live like you're gathering the vessels. Like what would it look like today to not do that sin? And then when you stumble, continue to pray. There's physical healing. There's healing from hardship and brokenness and sins. And there's healing from all these things. But ultimately, the goal of this sermon, and I think this passage, is to drive us into the arms of Jesus in prayer and in belief. Um, 
Do you believe? Do you cry out? Do you go to God and ask him for help in hard times? So I don't want to minimize the difficulties of this world. Um, right now, it's corona. We have corona, the corona, and we have problems. And I've heard of lost jobs and lost wages, and I've heard of, of difficulty in, in marriages and, and struggles with, with families and children and loneliness if you're by yourself. I've heard of suicide in our little town. Um, it is a dark time. And Jesus wants to heal our physical and our spiritual, but we have to go to him and cry out. And I just want to conclude with a story that hits, that's close to home that I might even mess up because it was more my wife's story. So I've asked her for her permission, but it's our story. Um, when we went to seminary, we thought we had it all figured out financially. We had a job. We had it all lined up. And one year in the seminary, that job, which was a dream job for seminary, just disappeared. It was a contract sales job. And for the next three years, we were like scrambling. And we had already committed that much energy and time to seminary. And Emily tells, reminded me, I came home and I said, the way that we're going to um, pay for our tuition is a credit card. Now, Dave Ramsey people, I've already had read Dave Ramsey at this point. So I was a blasphemer for, against Dave Ramsey at this point. But... We did that. We, bought, we had to use a credit card. I, I think we ended up getting a loan that paid the... Anyway, I don't know how it all went down. But for Emily, in that moment, she just thought, no. Like, no, I don't want to go into debt, Lord. And she says she cries out to God and, um, and said, please, like, cancel this debt. Please make it to where we don't have to go into debt. Please take away this, this, this burden miraculously. And then she, I don't think she thinks she heard an audible voice, but it's one of those that you might as well say it's as close as it comes. And the answer was, don't you know that I've canceled your debt? Am I saying that right? Don't you know? Like, if we knew, I don't care how bad you're, I'm, this is not hyperbole, no matter how bad of the situation you're in, if we had a glimmer of, of, of the sight from heaven of the benefits of the canceled sin we currently have in Christ, I'll take 25 credit cards and go live in debtor's prison. I could handle that because I have the joy of eternity. And in that moment, she was able to see that reality and in a way, not just repent, but be filled with joy in a time of struggle. Yet, I will tell you to praise Jesus, God has canceled that debt physically. Like we are not in that debt. So, the beauty is he answered both. One took a lot longer, but the other was you, what you really need, let me tell you, is, is the rest in the blood of Christ. And isn't that what Paul tells us again in Philippians 4, that when you're anxious, pray on the basis of Jesus, that he's canceled your debt, he guards your heart, you can trust him. So like this woman, we're not minimizing the physical needs, but we're rejoicing with her that she was willing to go straight up to Elisha, which is equivalent to going straight to Yahweh and saying, I have a need. And then she was willing to act on the basis of what he said he would do for her. I would pray for all of us to find joy in our canceled debt and let that lead us to bold prayers, prayers that the coronavirus would, would disappear Prayers that our economy will never take a hit like they, th like they say it will. Prayers that we won't have the resurgence in the fall, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Let's close in prayer now. Father, we praise you that you are a God who delights to take 
nothings, take people who are struggling, people who feel like they have nothing to offer, and turn the situation and the person into something spectacular because you place your spirit on the lowly. Lord, thank you that you also delight in providing miracles and that you actually do answer physical needs. You still heal people. You still, still solve economic problems. You still heal difficult, even broken marriages. Uh, you still heal broken relationships with parents and children and roommates. And Father, you can reach in and do amazing things. And Lord, my, I think my favorite thing about this story is who would have ever thought of that idea? Um, forgive us for only praying things that make sense to us. Lord, who knew, who knew a flask of oil would turn into that many vessels? Lord, who knew, Jesus, that you would take ordinary jars for water and turn them into wine? Who knew that you would take little loaves and a, a couple of fish and feed so many thousands? We, we don't trust that you have a plan, and I think it brings you delight to not just answer the prayers, but Lord, boldly and, and abundantly answer the prayer. And we pray for that, for this church, for this community, that your spirit would pour out, even in a time like this where we need you desperately. Amen.